Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the book of Philippians. In this book, Paul calls the church in Philippi to live lives that reflect Christ, even in times of persecution. Remembering this, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. I think we have a lot to learn from the Apostle Paul because sometimes we define fellowship based on on what we think of others or what others think of us, how they treat us, how they respond to us, but this should never be the basis of our fellowship with them, ever. Our basis must always be Jesus, period. So that brother or sister in Christ who has really irritated you, love them. Love them and don't let it break your fellowship with them as much as it's possible for you to do so. Because Jesus wouldn't. And he wants us to be like him in this. And then Paul goes on and he says in verse 4, Always in every prayer of mine making a request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul says that they are on his heart and mind so much so that he can't help but to pray for them always. And with joy because of the fellowship that he shared with them as his brothers and and fellow servants of Christ. It was was thinking of them that caused him to pray for them. Let me ask you this question. You don't raise your hands or answer it out loud, okay? But just think about it. When was the last time that you prayed for your brothers and, and sisters in Christ like this? When's the last time that somebody just came to mind and and instead of a criticism, instead of a thought about them, well, you know what, they're okay, but, you know, this or whatever, or maybe there's nothing wrong and you just think of them, you say, oh, I really like them. When's the last time that that thought of them caused you to just stop and to pray for them? Paul says, man, always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the, this day until now. Paul's saying, man, every time I'm thinking of you and every time I think of you, it just it causes me to want to pray for you. Yeah, some of you, when I think of you, I just, that's all I can do is pray for you. No, no that's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. He's just saying he can't help but pray, and it brings joy to his heart as he does because he just wants to do it. And it isn't like he's saying, you know, just praying because there's some specific prayer need that comes to mind. Sometimes that's the only time we pray for one another. If there's a specific request that comes to our attention or because others asked you to pray for them or because you felt it was your duty to pray for them. But, but let me ask you, when was the last time you just spontaneously prayed for your brothers and sisters in Christ because of what you share with them in Christ? Thanking the Lord for what you have with them. Maybe yeah, you go home and just say, you know what? God bless that Pastor Randy. He makes me mad sometimes, and sometimes he says stupid things, but you know what? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just Would you just touch his life, man? I want you praying like that for me. I'm not afraid to ask you for that. I want you to do that. If you feel compelled to pray that he get me out of here, well, that's fine too, whatever. It's just pray, man. That's what Paul did. He prayed for him, not because there was specific request, but because of what they meant to him in Christ, the the privilege and the blessing that Christ had given to him in in serving with them shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, side by side together, placing them there, bringing them into his life was enough to make him pray. Back to the army stories again, but you know, there there were soldiers that I served with in the army that when I would go home at night, I would think of them. 
I would think of them. I was grateful for them. Because what they did to the mission and what we were doing, I was grateful for them. I was grateful that, that I'd, I'd come in contact with them, that we were there. But I'm going to tell you, it, that, that kind of, of care for them wanes in comparison to what I sense in Christ for all of us and for you guys. Think of the believers that God has brought into my life over the years that have, have not only shaped me, but have been right there alongside of me in the fight. And I praise God for that. I pray for them. I pray for you. And I want you praying for your brothers and sisters like that, you see? Paul, Paul, listen to Paul's words on this very idea as he thinks about other believers and, and the kind of impact that he had on his life. And you understand when you hear these statements why he would pray like this. Romans 16.3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Did you hear his heart? Greet these guys, man. They're my fellow workers. And, and they held a special place in his heart. Or in Romans 16, 7, he says, Greet Andronicus and, and Hunia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. He says, man, these, these two, and they're my, not just my fellow countrymen, but they're my fellow prisoners. They may not be in chains with me where I am, but they're in chains with me every time I'm in prison. They're there too. And so I'm with them, too, and I'm praying for them. In Romans 16, 9, he says, Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachius, my, brother, my beloved. In Philippians 2, 25, he says, Yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. All these people that God brought into Paul's life, he remembers them continually. Guarantee he's praying for them all. Philippians 4, 3, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Or in Colossians 4, 7, Tychius, a beloved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. Colossians 4.10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Philemon, Paul says in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. In the second verse of Philemon, he says, to the beloved Aphia, Achippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. In Philemon, verses 23 and 24, he notes, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. All these names flowing continually through Paul's head. All these, these people that he encountered, we don't know for how long, maybe some were just brief encounters, but it was enough to impact his life. But what was impacting him was their faith in Christ, their service in Christ alongside of him. These were his comrades, his brothers in arms, his sisters in arms. And because they were always in there, he was always making prayers, always making requests for them spontaneously. Do you pray for one another? Do you pray for the people that God brought into your life? Maybe you haven't seen them in years, but he brings them to mind. Do you just stop and just pray for them with the heart that Paul had for his fellow servants? Because I think that's what God wants in us. I think he wants that sense of community so strong that nothing separates us, that we're there and we're joined through prayer for one another. And that's what Paul did. I think that Paul had... Something that caused that, though, and that was a true understanding of the nature of what fellowship really was all about. 
you know, he speaks in here of for your fellowship, he says in verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel. For your fellowship in the gospel. You know, the English word fellowship has a lot of its rich original meaning kind of lost today on us. Today, we, we usually use it to refer to companionship or association between individuals. Okay, that's fellowship. I can go to the country club, not that I belong to one, but if I could afford to and I went to the country club and there were people there that I spent time around, I might say, well, I was fellowshipping with them, meaning I have companionship with them. We go there, we golf together, okay, or whatever we do. But, but in the original form, the word actually referred to a joint participation in a common interest and activity. It was more than just an association. It was an association that was driven by something that was important to both of us, that we were both committed to, that there was a part of our lives being vested in to do that. For Paul, it was Christ. For him, it was the work of Christ. And that's what we have as brothers and sisters. We have Christ. We have the call that he's placed in our lives. And that call is the basis. It's what joins us together. And through that participation, that common interest, that common activity, we're joined together in serving the cause of Christ. Like soldiers. Like a band of brothers. Right? We're joined in a cause. We're in the fight together. And when you think about, think about the things that we're doing together, that we're called together. I mean, we're called to being willing to share in sufferings and hardships together, right? We are. Second Timothy chapter one, verses eight and nine says this, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. We're called to be together and to share in the sufferings of the gospel together. Now, that doesn't mean that because your brother or sister is engaged in something where they're truly suffering in that, that you're necessarily to run out there and join them physically. But what it does imply is that if they suffer, we have that sense of suffering in our hearts as well. Paul's going to speak to the Philippian believers. Remember, he's writing them from prison. And he's going to be reassuring them, hey, it's all going to be okay. You know, he's not going to say it, but remember I mentioned it last week, Paul was really the ministry in in Philippi in large part came out of a jail ministry because Paul was in prison there. And it was the Philippian jailer who gets saved and his family and the church. Obviously, it's born through Lydia, but it's still still growing through Paul's prison experience. So they understand that. But Paul will speak to them about the fact that he knows that they're with him in prison, even though they're not physically there because we're joined together. How many of you guys, just in your hearts, are suffering because Pastor Saeed is suffering in Iran, if you've been following that? I mean, you can't help. Sometimes it's even hard to read the things or to see the pictures of his family because it breaks our hearts when we see that. Because we can't, we feel like we want to do something, but what can we do to get him? How can we help our brother there? That's the sense that God wants us to have in our hearts for one another, that if one suffers, we're right there suffering with them too. And and there are things we can do. We can be lifting them up in prayer when we have that sense within us. It's what bands of brothers do for one another. It's what they feel about one another. Secondly, the concept is that we're going to be willing to stand together in the fight, no matter how hard or difficult that fight might be. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 says this. 
Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in anyone terrifi- any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. Do you hear what he says? That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Can we say that? Are we in this fight together? If we are, then we're going to stand together and we're going to fight the good fight together. When we see our brother or sister in the fight, we're going to bring fire there. It's just like we talked about last week, the thing that's blessed my heart in the prayer that you guys have been doing for so many people in this fellowship that are sick, you're constantly shifting fire. You're firing this way today, tomorrow you'll shift fire over here, but you haven't forgotten about them. And the fire will return again to give them cover while they're in the fight, you see. That's a good feeling to know that there's others standing with us like that. Third, being willing to carry each other if necessary. You know, you see these these movies, these guys in combat picking up the wounded and carrying them out. There's, those are true. You don't leave anybody behind. You know, I, I sometimes fear in Christianity we're the ones that do leave the ones the wounded behind. You know, we're not supposed to. We're supposed to be carrying one another. When there's somebody weak, we're to be lifting them up and carrying them. The old adage, you are your brother's keeper. It's like somebody says, well, what does it matter if I do this? Well, does it stumble your brother, Paul would say? You see, if you're going to do something that will stumble your brother, you're not carrying him. Or what about the one who's weak and has fallen in sin? What do you do, to abandon him? Do you just look away from him? Do you say, well, you got what you deserved? Or do you pray for them? It doesn't mean you always coddle him. It doesn't always mean you go over and say, it's going to be okay, because maybe it's not going to be okay. Maybe your call is to go and challenge them at what they've done, but you better do it with grace in your heart. You better do it with the right motivation. You certainly better have picked the the plank out of your own eye before you go over to help them with the speck in theirs. But listen to some of the things Scripture tells us about this carrying one another. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you know what the law of Christ is? Anybody know? Love. It's love. It's the law of Christ. It's love. So he says, man, help each other. Restore each other. Be with each other. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Carry one another. Romans 15.1, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Sometimes it's pleasing to me to criticize the weak. Sorry, it's true. I don't sit there and go, I wonder if he sits at home and criticizes me. Probably, no. But, you know, sometimes it is. It's just the truth. It's easier to look and want to throw a rock. It just is. You look at it and say, well, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, but I might do 15 other things that you wouldn't do. Here, Paul says, we ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. It doesn't mean we put up with it in the sense of of condoning it, but it does mean we're not going to go after them, rip their hearts out and leave blood all over the ground from from, spiritual blood that we've torn them apart like a pack of wild dogs. But sometimes it seems like Christians are the most vicious to one another than, than the world is to each other. I've heard Christians say and said, I, 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 I endured more within Christianity from my fellow Christians who I expected better of than I did from the world before I was saved. And that's a sad statement. 
But sometimes it's true. We shouldn't be trying to please ourselves, our own attitudes. We need to bear it with one another. Hebrews 12, 12, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Man, you see a brother or sister who's really struggling? Maybe it's with a sin issue. What are you doing to strengthen them? What are you doing to come alongside of them, not to be their Holy Spirit, but to be an encouragement and, and, and the friction that God may want to bring into their life to help them grow, to get away from that? It's easy to look at somebody that's walking into sin and saying, look at them, there they go. It's another thing to walking up and following what Matthew 18 says and to go to them and say to them, you know what, I think you're going down a wrong road. I'm not being your judge, but look at what Scripture says. I'm concerned for you. I care about you. I don't want to see this happen. I don't want to see where this is going to lead in your life. How many of us are willing to do that? Most of us say, I don't feel too comfortable with that. But do you feel comfortable criticizing them? If you do, then there's something wrong. If you feel comfortable criticizing them, but you don't feel comfortable to go alongside of them to, to, to challenge them a little bit and encourage them and, and to help them grow, there's something out of balance. You understand? When we're in this fight together, we stand together. We're almost done. Hang in there just a moment. I think it's all related here, but fourthly, being willing to lay down our lives for one another. See, soldiers, the band of brothers, we lay down our lives. You're going you're to be willing to die for somebody else. You're going to be willing to let go of what's important to you for their sake. And Jesus says this very succinctly to us. John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, he says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He did it. Now he says, now you go do it. Lay down your life for your brethren. I cannot tell you how uncomfortable I get when I am sitting in my house watching a football game that I really want to watch. And one of you guys calls me and says, I need some help. Well, did you try so-and-so? Maybe they can help. I can't. I mean, I lied to you to say that that doesn't make me go, oh, man, why now? By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. May I be convicted and may you be convicted by that. Because that's the call. If, we're, if, we're this, if we are truly God's soldiers together, this band of brothers and sisters together, as Paul was with, with, with the believers as he was encouraging, then that's going to be our heart. I'm going to lay it down. And then finally, always remaining in unity. Always remaining in unity. Ephesians 4, 1 says this, 1 through 3. Ephesians 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I might not agree with everybody theologically. I might not agree with everybody in what they're doing. But in so much as it is possible... I will attempt to maintain my grace and my love for them if they are in Christ. I will do everything that I can to keep that from separating me and my relationship with them. It doesn't mean I'm going to go out and yoke with everybody and participate in everything with everybody, but it means in my personal relationship with them, I will do everything that I can to keep division from setting in between us. I have a good friend in ministry who... I just think he's going down, just honestly, I think he went down a wrong road on some theology. I do. I think he's bought into a theological framework that is just not biblical. But I separate that out from my relationship with him because he is my brother in Christ. 
He is my brother in Christ. We can debate this all we want, but at the end of the day, we're still arm in arm in Christ as brothers, and that's important. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Unity. Unity. We're not the same, but we're united in Christ because he lives in and through all of us. But you see, I think our idea of fellowship has lost the sense of meaning of all these things. And, and now what we have are churches that are growing up where fellowship is about an activity. <laughs> it's being defined by the activities we engage in rather than by the relationships that we have with another. Because it's easy to get people engaged in an activity because there we can all get along. But what about when the activities aren't happening and it's just you and me sitting here in our humanity? That's the real measure of fellowship. Can we still be these things? Can these still things be happening in our lives? Because if they are, then we understand the true essence of fellowship that Christ understood. These guys that he hung out with, they must have driven him nuts. I'm sorry, but they must have. Peter and, and the dudes arguing over his first in the kingdom and, oh, serve you, and then denying him. And just think of him, the zealot saying, we need to get you up there and make you king and we'll overthrow Rome, you know? All this stuff. And we never really hear Jesus saying, you guys drive me crazy. We hear him sometimes saying, oh, you little faith, oy vey. Well, he doesn't throw the oy vey in there, but, you know, he's a good Jew. I'm sure he did. They just didn't record it in the scriptures. But, you know, you don't see that with Jesus. What you see him is, is like a father just caring for his kids who he sees as immature sometimes. But he loved them. He loved them no matter how far out they were. He loved them. He cared about them, and he wanted them to understand his love for them because he figures if they could get the fact that he would love them for who they were, then they could learn to love one another for who they were, despite who they were. Amen? And that's what he wants for us. And so Paul says, always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you all with joy, 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 joy. Paul's literally saying that it brought joy to his heart as he prayed for them like this. And maybe if we started praying for each other like this, especially when we're in dark places in our lives, we would find joy that would lift us above those circumstances too. Being confident, we're going to leave it at this. I'm not even going to exposit it. I'm just going to read it to you. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Well, I can't not exposit that. I have to. Because that gets us past everything else, doesn't it? So when my brothers and sisters, who I sometimes have a hard time being in fellowship with, show their humanity, I can fellowship with them and rise above it and pray for them and find that harmony and unity with them because I realize that they're just works in progress, just like I am. God's not done yet. We're, we're under construction. And we won't be finished until we stand in the kingdom one day. And Jesus understood that when he looked at them. He understood as he looked at his disciples, you're just under construction. God's, we're not done with you yet. The Father, me, the Spirit, we're not done with you. And so when we begin to look at others who've irritated us or bothered us, or they're just not like us, and we look and say, you know what, well, why can't they be more like this? Why don't they get this? We can look and say, but it doesn't matter because I'm not where I should be either because we're under construction. But here's the good news, and I want to encourage you all. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Doesn't say might complete it if you help him. Doesn't say might do it if you cooperate a little bit. It says he will complete it. 
he will complete this project. He's not like PennDOT. He doesn't start a road and then leave it set, okay? He's going to finish what he began. It just may take him time. And it isn't because he's run out of the resources to complete it. You've ex- some of, sometimes I feel like, man, I have just taxed the Lord so much, he doesn't have anything left to pour into me to make this work. But it's not that. It's because he's working on it incrementally in his timing, in his way. And oh, by the way, that brother or sister, as you deal with them and you, you're, you're having a hard time fellowshipping with them and you're looking at them, it may be that they are right where they are right now because that's where God wants them to be right now. Oh, you mean he wants them to be in a sinful state? No, he doesn't want them to be in a sinful state. But he knows that if they don't go through this period, he can't finish what it is he wants to do in them. Because sometimes people have to hit the wall in their lives. Or maybe he's left them right where they are because he's not finished with you and you need them where they are so that it can break in your heart what needs to be broken so that you can love them even though. I don't know. I'm just saying God has a plan and he is working it out. But remember as I began today by saying, we want the plan, we want to know the steps. That he doesn't tell us. But he does tell us that he does have a plan and he knows it and he's working it out in his timing and in his way and in the right process. And there isn't a second, he's not a second late ever, nor is he a second early. He's just there at the right time in your life, bringing the change that needs to be brought. So grace to one another, because grace is what will lead us to the fellowship with one another. Amen? Amen. I love this. I'm sorry. Do you want to just stay here? I love this letter. Let's just stay all day. I do. I like this. There's so much. Just as it's right for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart. He goes on, and he's just, I love this letter. And I pray that God will work this letter in all of our hearts. Because I think when we can walk away like Paul in the way he's writing to these guys in Philippians, just think how that transformed this church. Just this, I can't be responsible for everybody else. But I can say, just think of what it would do for us to have this heart of grace toward one another. And this heart of grace toward, you know, of receiving that from the Lord, how that will change our lives to do all the other things that Paul will be talking about. He's going to be praying them for righteousness and holiness and all of this which is so important to us as Christians. But how that would be worked out so perfectly if we can just grasp these things. Amen? I just can't. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.